Welcome to The Travelling Senorita, episode number 87. Shut down in lockdown in Brisbane town. How many towns can you have in lockdown? Um, Good place to be. Community vibe, sun shining, on the river and parks and people doing the right thing, which is a good thing. So masks are being worn um, and food is being eaten, eclectic eateries all around here and I'm feeling fine. But I am missing international travel. Yep, I did say it, international travel. And so today I thought I would uh, welcome a a friend of mine who's also an amazing um, travel writer, been doing it for a couple of decades now, go figure, and his name is Craig Tansley. Hello, Craig. Hello, how you doing, Kylie? Good, buddy. Now let's let's talk about travel because that's what we love talking about. But before we do that, where did you grow up, and how did you get this wandering spirit? Yeah, well, I definitely got that from my well, I'd say from my mother, but uh, well, from my parents, but but my background, I I was raised in the Cook Islands. So as a very small child, I moved to the Cook Islands from New Zealand, and um, yeah, and I spent my early there started started primary school in, in bare feet and um yeah sort of you know walking to school it was very very amazing place to grow up in Rarotonga and um yeah that was up until about seven years old and uh then moved to Byron Bay and um yeah lived in a little farm out the back of uh on the way towards Bangalore from from Byron and this little tiny little little farm for five dollars a week and yeah, pretty idyllic childhood. So, you know, some you of my took, travel writer buddies. You just took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, what an <laughs> idyllic childhood you had. And when you said $5 a week, there's got to be a book in there for you, mate, because Byron just gets such a smashing now, doesn't it, for being like really over the top and <laughs> accentuated in so many ways. But you would know the organic, yeah. real Byron Bay. Yeah, well, Byron was just so different back then. I mean, you know, I still love the place. It's still nice. But it, to be honest, I don't go there very often, even though it's only 40 minutes away. I just find it kind of hectic. Like, I have to work out how long I'm going to pay for or if I'm going, oh, you yes. know, use the parking meters. I'm going to yeah. work out if it's the right time to go in for the traffic. And just the people are all a bit different now. Like, I mean, there's plenty of nice people there, but... Some of the newer arrivals have just got like a hectic sort of vibe, which I don't really... That's actually a really good uh, word, isn't it? Hectic. So, Well, there's layers of like... What I find is there's layers of localism. So you get these people who have been there for like now five years, say, and they hate the ones who have arrived there since COVID. Oh, no. I hate this sort of behaviour. I know. It's just crazy. (laughs) And then you get the ones that, you know, have been there for 50 years... But they don't even sometimes, they're not as hectic in their uh, localism as some person who's been there two years who's trying to prove that they've been there longer than the guy that was there for one year and all that sort of stuff. So you just get these crazy levels of localism. It it sounds like ownership. Ownership's gone mad and you know how I feel about that. You and I have had some connections on um, Indigenous storytelling in the 20s, you know, like it's Indigenous land, man. It's like nobody owns anything. We're just passing through and I actually read a story the other day about the Hemsworth and I don't know how much of it was true but then they're not coming back and they're selling up and blah blah and part of me actually felt sad for them because they actually were just trying to live a life in a 30 million dollar (laughs) mansion don't quote me on that but I mean you know they weren't able to um fit in if you like so they must have had apparently they they, he tried to get the place that I, I grew up in for five dollars a week, but it wasn't available. So <laughs> he, he had to upscale, but he was trying. But, yeah, 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 he still, wanted still to. Booked out. He wanted to be down to earth and organic, but it just didn't work for him. So um, yeah, they're not coming. <laughs> it's but they're, hard to, they're gone to Bondi, yeah, mate. 
<laughs> it's harder to uh, fit in yeah, into a local community when you're Thor, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. And um, so you're subhuman, aren't you? Um, so how do you end up back in Corumban from um, that early beginnings in the Cook Islands, being over in, uh, being born in New Zealand, Byron Bay? It's already kind of got this worldly theme to it, Craig. And then you end up back <laughs> in Corumban. How does that happen? Yeah, well, that was. I mean, you know, I did sort of the. The normal thing that kids from the coast and kids from the country used to do back then, which was, you know, go off to uni and uh, see the world, go and live in Sydney, go and live in Melbourne, go and live, you know, in other places. And I, I actually had been living in the States for a little while because I, I met my now wife on a media trip in Utah, in Park City, Utah, in the so Rocky Mountains. So cliche, my friend, so cliche. <laughs> oh, no, well, you know, I got... Couldn't help, couldn't help myself. Oh, yes. No, knowing Jen, and she's she's a beautiful uh, writer and PR girl herself. So that sounds like a perfect meetup. That one. Yeah, yeah, and it was you know instead of instead of moving to Sydney to Bondi like we were intending to, that's when we decided to give this little part of, of the coast, the Corumban, Southern Cold Coast, uh, you know, to see see what we thought of it, just sort of give it a little bit of a go, maybe spend six months here and see if it was okay. A good place and then to that base was four yourself and a half when years you're um, four and a half years ago, right? A good place to base yourself when you're travelling on those wonderful international trips that you do or, and, and well, did and do and will continue to do. But prior to that as a journalist, what were you doing? Where did you um, study and where did you live and what other things have you done other than travel writing? Yeah, well, I was a. Uh, I did my my university up in Brisbane at the uh, Queensland Uni- uh, QUT, Queensland University of Technology. Yes. And um, yeah, and I st- I uh, wanted to stay in Brisbane after I after I graduated, which was tricky because all the jobs in you know when you're 21 years old and you need a job in journalism, you've got to go out to places like St George and Mount Isa and Cloncurry and all that to work for local newspapers. But I didn't want to. Um, so I worked for uh, truck and bus magazines and logistics. I had to learn what logistics was. I had to, when I was 21, I was well, 22. I had to go off to Melbourne. I remember was one of my hardest ones, and go to a uh, a logistics conference with all these big head guys from like Nike and oh, Coles, Woolies, or Coca Cola. And do all these stories about their logistics systems and their warehousing, and I didn't even know exactly what logistics was. Yeah, right. You just so mentioned. I would have had on. to. I would have had to um, put a uh, a minute pause on you then, because you just mentioned all the majors, mate, on my uh, podcast channel. If you're on ABC, oh, really? if you're on ABC, I would have had to get rid of you then. <laughs> yeah, I should. Yeah, I should know this is the that, fun I? part about podcasting. We can do whatever we bloody well like right on, right now, right here. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so keep so after you did the trucking, which to me is a little bit like you know travel, transport, travel. Um, you come back to Brizzy, and then what do you do? Uh, I actually, I oddly enough, it was a friend of mine. I was, I was uh, watching for some reason the funeral of. Um, Diana, Lady Diana. We all remember that. It's crazy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember it. And I, I wasn't going to go because it wasn't really my thing to watch funerals of princesses. It's not really what, I'm, <laughs> what I've done before. But I happened to go that night, so it must have been fate. And it was a friend of mine from university who said, hey, you would have been interested in that job in the paper today. And it was the deputy editor on Waves magazine. Wow. So then I got to – that was in Sydney. So I moved to Sydney and became a surfing journalist, which did was you, good did fun. Did you Tim Baker back then? Uh, he worked on the other one. He right. was on yeah. Surfing Life. Oh, but surfing yeah, I knew life. the name very well. He's yeah. a fantastic writer. Yeah, yeah. 
But yeah, well, I, I worked for Waves and Tracks and did that for about more a year. And then I went on to a music magazine with the same company. Mm, is that um, and so music tell me about that how long that sounds like one of those glamour jobs I worked in music in myself myself in London and everyone said oh what a glamour job but it really is quite um not sustainable isn't it you burn out from those sort of jobs oh, <laughs> totally yeah I think I was 20 24 24 when I got that job and I just worked you know all day and then I'd go out all night and yeah oh, just yes. burn the candles at both ends but yes. it was I mean it was amazing you know being 24 having recently moved to Sydney and you're in the music industry and everyone's sort of, you know, kissing your butt to get stories in the magazine, all the big, big labels where it always, you know, they'd be like, oh, okay, so we've got Foo Fighters are coming out. Do you want to spend some time? I, I took, like, Dave Grohl out. I, I went surfing with um, Chris Martin, the lead singer oh, of Coldplay. Oh, now, he, he's always struck me as a really nice bloke. Yeah, super nice guy. Terrible surfer, but a really nice guy. But that makes it even more fun. You you became his guru oh, for, yeah. just for a moment. You became his guru as opposed to... Oh, exactly. <laughs> I, I still, one of my pop star and take them surfing, you definitely, you know, that's where you have your competitive advantage over them. The rest of the time when they're up on stage and they're the, they're the god, they are, they are the god, but when they're in the surf and they're looking pasty and awkward in They're the... They're just everybody the, else. Uh, but that's when you'd get your good content too, wouldn't it, mate? Get some underground, <laughs> undercover stories out of him. Yeah, oh, definitely. Well, we spent the whole day... That was quite a while ago now, but we spent the whole day with him on the beach at um, at Curlco, him and the drummer. And, yeah, just, you know, sort of hanging out and shooting the breeze, had a few beers afterwards and all that. We oh. used to do that a bit, actually. We'd hang out with him and... Yeah, I love get that. To, you know, I get to spend some sort of quality time with... Like, Ben Harper was another one. Spent a lot of time with Ben Harper. He was great. Yeah, see, that all sounds great. So you've gone from, like, um, studying journalism in Brisbane, having having that wandering spirit, getting your first gig in trucks and automobiles on the road, yeah. and then going into the surfing side, but then you end up in music. It makes absolute sense that you then become a mature writer in wandering and traveling the world and so your forte yeah. Craig from what I can tell of what I've read is uncovering those really wild adventurous you know quirky stories tell me a little bit about what you like to write about these days yeah definitely well I mean that's sort of where I suppose where I specialize is that kind of um yeah luxury well often it's luxury adventure just because of the publications I write for but um doesn't have to be luxury it's in my mind as long as it's sort of like adventurous I just find it I find it much more fun and, and easier really to write about when there's a, a real proper adventure involved there's some sort of experience that has like a real a beginning a middle and an end to it it's sort of it just makes more sense to write about in that way so so by doing something really interesting i find it much easy easier to write about because i enjoy it more and you like to uncover things that haven't been written about before now that makes sense yeah definitely like just finding little quirky little angles that you, you know people might have written about before or you know it's like people forget that with travel writing like a bunch of people sort of think that travel writing is just meant to be a whole bunch of adjectives on a page but it's a travel story is still very much story is the key part of that it's not travel it's yeah. like it's still going to be a story so it's still the essence of what makes an interesting story in every other discipline of writing does exist in travel and just because a place is really beautiful doesn't mean you don't still have to make it really interesting to to hear about because so no one comes back from a holiday and says you know to their friends at the pub 
the water was so blue and then spends the next 20 minutes at the pub telling everyone how water the how blue the water was they still tell these really interesting stories well, it's about the journey and the mishaps isn't it along the way and the people yeah that's right people. i mean it's still got to be interesting i mean you can't allow a place just to be the hero you've still got to you know the story's still got to be the hero and not everybody can afford that lux holiday that you might get put on you know you might get hosted somewhere so some of your stories i find are really cool because they're not just about the beautiful hotel you're actually getting out on the horses and taking on the desert and you know you're really getting underground and i love that about your riding style what was the one yeah, that won no, the award with the front cover where were you there that was beautiful Talk yeah the uh when i went horse riding, that's probably one of the most interesting stories i think i've had, yeah, let's let's, had to let's do. skate around here for a while i love this story yeah, yeah, no, well, I, there's an amazing company um, down in Sydney who I do a, a fair bit of work with and they run amazing safaris sort of all over the world and this one, um, classic safari company, um, they sent me to Patagonia, so in Argentina. So I flew into Patagonia at the very top of Patagonia, um, like hooked up with this whole bunch of Australians who happened actually ended up being some of the richest Australians that there are, like billionaires and these, these young guys that were related to all these mining magnates in Western Australia, but super nice people. Yeah. And they're all amazing riders and I'm okay horse rider, but I'm nothing special. And we did like a, a week-long ride through the uh, just the mountains right next to the Andes, right down through wow. Patagonia. Wow. Like really steep stuff too. I mean, these horses were... Our host, our guide, was he pretty much said to well, he said to us quite a few times. He said, "When you get in these really full-on situations, don't try to steer the horse. Let the horse do its thing. Oh, if you try wow. to steer the horse, you're in trouble because it knows what to do, and you don't want to confuse a horse when you when oh. you're sitting on the edge of a ledge and you you know you're looking straight down and you're basically looking a kilometre straight down. If you fall." You just, it's death on each so side. So the first time you experienced that on one of the first declines, really, did you just, like, had to release the trust to the horse and then after that it just flowed? Yeah, well, it was it was sort of unusual. I, I think straight away you could just see these horses were just so incredibly intuitive and amazing. I mean, they were just such beautiful horses. So I sort of gave in pretty easily and went, okay, you, you take charge and just enjoy the view. And luckily, because I've spent a lot of time snowboarding and in steep mountains, I wasn't probably as intimidated by the um, gradient of the slopes as, you know, as, as most people would be because I do tend to spend a lot of time in mountains. Yeah, yeah, because you've got that adventurous spirit. Um, so tell me about some of the people you met along the way on that little journey, like the Sherpas. They're probably not called Sherpas, but like... Tell me about the, you know, the guides. Like, yeah, well, they were incredible. They're called um, gauchos. Gaucho, that's um, a great name. Yeah, <laughs> so they're all gauchos. Um, like local, local sort of Argentina. Actually, one of them was Italian, but the rest of them are all these Argentinian um, gauchos and like proper cowboys from wow. another era. And they, I mean, the way they sort of looked after horses and controlled their horses was just next level. I've never seen people ride horses like that. It was just amazing so we went through this beautiful private property like right on the edge of this this massive wilderness and we'd stay in this these tiny little cabins out in the middle of nowhere but the best place we stayed at this was we stayed there two or three nights or maybe four uh, four or five but we stayed at this this crazy gaucho and basically it was like the 20th and the 21st century had never happened this guy was still living the way he'd lived in the 1800s or his his ancestors on this little funny little place and we just slept in these tents in his backyard and he would 
he slaughtered slaughtered his own animals, and so he had a big feast with his animals that he slaughtered. And wow. he didn't have electricity, he didn't have um, running water, and his wife would have to power this bicycle and ride for quite a while just just to have enough um, <laughs> electricity, basically, wow. or, or you know, power to run generators that we needed for a few things like hot water. Wow. It was absolutely incredible. And did he? Did they seem happy? Yeah, yeah, really happy. I think, you know, it, well, for not to sound sort of, uh, well, ignorance is bliss, you know, so ignorance of the modern world is um, probably a good thing, really, for, well, for a lot of people. Well, right now, mate, because we've got like 24-7 information overload and we're all going crazy, you know, the more that you, you can apply that to right now. The more that you just That's right. go and read a good book or listen to a good podcast about travel. Uh, and this is the thing about travel, you know, like you and I wanted to catch up because it has been thwarted. The, year, the word of the year for me is thwarted. Um, and it's thwarted. like thwarted, yeah. as in, you know, I just feel like it's stagnant. It's like last year we were saying, oh my God, everything's over. And I mean, it had been paused, the travel industry. But now I feel like it's really been cut off at the knees and it's thwarted, you know, like it's just got that yeah. kind of like not growing feel about it, like a plant that's just yeah. been cut off. And I, and, I, and I wondered from your side, because you're still, and that this is your, this isn't a uh, hobby, this is your full-time career. Um, you've been doing it for over a couple of decades. Um, you're a journalist trained. I'm journalist trained as well, but I tend to sort of float into PR and 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 travel writing. Uh, but you, this is it. This is your career. So how yep. have you, um, firstly, checking in with you, how have you gone in the last 18 months and how do you see the, the future of your industry? Yeah, well, good question. Um, it was it was a funny time. I mean, you know, God, when it first when everything first started kicking in last March, March before this one, um, it was just. I, I remember one of my worst memories of when COVID first started was I had this big story. I'd been to Costa Rica in January last year, and I had this. I went to this amazing surf retreat where all these Hollywood celebrities and things. Absolutely incredible place. Had this big two and a half thousand word story in the in the Australian Financial Review, and I was all excited about it. So I couldn't wait and then everything was happening and, you know, God knows what was going to happen to the Australian publishing industry. But I was just hanging out and at the time no one was allowed out of their house. It was when, you know, the, the lockdowns had first happened. I had a mask on. I went into a news agency just to get this just to get this uh, copy of the of the financial review. It's always a Came good day, out. isn't it, mate? It's always a good day, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I was so excited and I thought, well, at least this story is still going to come out because I put my heart and soul into yeah. it. Yeah. It, the... the publication came out, it wasn't there. All the travel oh, stuff had been no. taken out. And that's when I sort of really started thinking, oh, my God, this is this is real. This is really happening. And yeah. the next few months in particular were just really grim. There just wasn't any travel, just nothing whatsoever. And then slowly over time, um, yeah, it just sort of started evolving again. And it was kind of unusual. I mean, there's been times where things are sort of like feeling quite good. Some of the really amazing tour operators that I work with mm. started things back up again, but only in Australia. Mm. And then now with these more recent, you know, with Sydney being shut down, Melbourne was shut down, or everything going on, these poor people just, you know, they can't run their tours anymore because it's yeah. just impossible. Well, now we're seeing the, um, you know, the, 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 long, the long game has turned into an endurance classic and it's like, who's going to survive? But you know what's mm. interesting on that though, Craig, because that's really hard for us because we love our local tourism and we love our communities. So we are watching that and being in tourism and events and, you know, from you, I've written at Blues Fest, you've been around Blues Fest, you know what I mean? Like it goes right yep. through and then, you, and then you go right down to the street food vendor. So it's really quite depressing. And I remember 
and Easter when Blues Fest cancelled. For me, that was, you just said you had that time for you. For me, I just went, I can't yep. do this anymore. I'm getting a dark cloud. And as a positive person, I just had to actually literally get on a plane to Sydney and just land in the middle of the CBD when it was all open and just pretend yep. like life was okay and the world is okay. Because, you know, and, and that's what I mean about not being immune. No, Nobody's immune to it. So that was Northern New South Wales in, in yeah. on its knees at Easter. So once again, they, they're on their knees in July, blah, blah, blah. It continues on and on and on. Yeah. But here's, so that's hard for us to watch and to feel for our comrades there. But what I will say is recently, and because you've got a lot of international contacts as well from the stories yeah. and the travel that you've done, they're actually, I think, maybe six to nine months ahead of us and starting to yep. come out. Like, I've got friends at the, today in Paris that were down, locked down in uh, southwest France, not going anywhere, really dire, you know, this time last year, or even six months ago. And they're out and about in Paris today having a wonderful time. Other friends are out yeah. and about in Spain. So that gives me hope on the international level. Oh, yeah, my, totally. My question is, yep. do you think it's just because we're a little bit behind and we've just got to get the vaccines up and we will start to travel again? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, you know, I have a lot of involvement with America because of my in-laws. Yeah. Um, and I have a lot of friends in America and it's amazing. It's, I mean, people over there are pretty much living almost back to normal lives. I mean, and now the masks are coming back in, but that's basically because, the, you know, so many people won't get vaccinated. But amongst the vaccinated, they're going back to normal life. I mean, my mother-in-law didn't leave the house for a year. Wow. People complain about it here. She didn't leave her house for a year. She couldn't, you know, even with a mask on, it was too dangerous. I mean, it was crazy times. Yeah. And now they've been living like normal. And I've got friends that live in Colorado and they're, they spend their whole, she just had her birthday in South America and then yeah, she's right. um, up in Canada and then she's in Montana. I mean, they're just traveling on. They can't believe how far behind we are. Like, you know, they still are amazed how limited we are in terms of our travel. Well, we like went the, from yeah. sort of hero to, we went from, sorry, from, yeah, hero to zero pretty quickly because we looked at it as like, you know, this island that was doing very well. I always knew in my yeah. heart that, you, A, you can't stop a virus. Like, to think you can stamp it out and, and live like um, Vanuatu on an island is not going to work yeah. in, a, in a first world country like Australia, my opinion. Um, but yeah. also, um, B, you just knew that it was going to start to take hold. Do you think it's a bit like fashion that we're always like a season behind? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it could be because when you... Yeah, or movies I mean, or music. <laughs> definitely. When I'm talking to all the in-laws and people I know in America, it's, yeah, I do feel like, you know, I'm, I'm over here going, yeah, sort of wondering what's what it's like in, you know, that, yeah, that next element of technology or that next movie or something what's it like because you really are sort of like gazing into the future every time you talk to them it's, it's like, like oh, when so- i used to travel back in the 90s over lived in london for a couple of years and we went to the states and they're like do you guys have like computers over there i feel like we're a bit like that again i'm like oh my god are we going back yeah. in time to barbaric days yeah, that's or right. are we going to be okay but having the said, kangaroos have come back into our streets <laughs> of our cities. It's, yeah, it's happening. Oh my god, you so know what I'm saying. Um, so, so just on that, um, the stories that you have been doing at home, because I know how much you love Australia. You were just blessed to be travelling around the world for a very long time. What did you decide yeah. to do when you were, you know, excuse me for saying roaming at home, but um, holiday at home just did my head in. Roaming at home. Yeah. What, what? Where did you roam? What did you want to do that you hadn't done before that was always on your bucket list? Well, that was, that's been the funny thing because I have found, you know, I've, I've sort of been well and truly back on the road now for 12 months since, say, 
well, a bit over 12 months since probably last July or mm. June or something, I started doing my first trips again after only, so I had about three months where nothing was happening. Mm. But I, I've just found there's just been so many amazing things to do. I've, I've been lucky in that some of the um, small sort of companies that I do a lot of work with have really supported me. So I've been up to like the Northern Territory on boats and I've been out and found these incredible islands, the Westall Islands on a boat. I've been on a pub crawl on a tiny little plane where we went out to the outback in South Australia, New South Wales and Queensland. Oh, wow. And just, yeah, so I've sort of, and and then, you, you know, you get these crazy adventure stories, but they're in Australia and people are so desperate to know more about it. The only problem, well, not the problem. I mean, the thing is travel writing at the moment is working better than it ever has because all it takes, like I wrote about a pub crawl my pub crawl which was the cover of the Sydney Morning Herald and the Age travel section and normally that might get a little bit of interest so you might get a few bookings out of it but this time around because people are so desperate to find things it was they ended up having to put on like an extra three or four plane uh, trips how good is that now that's a feel good story I love that yeah, well, it's interesting because it really makes a difference now where before, I mean, a lot of people in the, you know, people are using it for research, but they're not necessarily acting on it. There's so many choices. So if you write a story about Aspen, Colorado, it doesn't mean that, you know, everyone's going to suddenly go out and go to, to Aspen. It just puts the thought in their mind. But at the moment, you're writing a story about, say, a pub crawl in the outback. Anyone who's got a bit of money and can do this, like they're booking it that day, and they're and they're often not able to get that trip because it's already booked out. It's yeah, it's amazing. Like, it's so um, yeah, it's so uh, quantifiable now. Yeah, that's good, and it's good to hear that. Um, and they've also got those dollars they're going to spend on the Amalfi Coast. You know, then they've got like that's why Lux yep. is, that's why places like Helsinki House and Rays they're all booked out way ahead. I'm, exactly, it's that high end, really high end stuff. Like you cannot get into Qualia. Yeah. And places yeah. like I was writing stories about Orpheus Island, which is just the most stunning island. But you're looking at twenty four hundred a night. Uh, for you know, but for booked the out for two years. <laughs> booked out totally, and everyone that I spoke to there, um, I went there with Jen, and they're all young. You know, there are people in there like where it used to be. I'd be staying at places that were, I don't know, three or four grand a night sometimes, yeah. and everyone was in their sixties or seventies yeah, because yeah. they're the only ones that can afford it. Now, at the moment, since COVID. They're in their 20s and their 30s and they're all telling those stories. I was meant to be in Portugal right now. I was meant to be in yeah. uh, yeah. Vale, Colorado right now. Yeah. And so they're spending all that money at at Qualia instead of going, you know, to, to New York for four weeks. Yeah, and so just on the tra- – you said that it's – I think you oh, – I don't know if I'm quoting you here, that travel writing is probably one of the best it's been. Is that what you just said? Well, in terms of Quant- uh, having like yeah 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 conversion. so like when you have conversion for conversion to conversion yeah. exactly yeah so I think it value for dollar at the moment when you when you get a travel right not trying to spruik myself or anything no. but when you get a travel writer through your business at the moment that you're getting results I think more so than ever for in our industry you can always spruik yourself to me you and Uta Jungha <laughs> and and Keith. Keith Austin, yourself, um, Sheridan Rhodes, you're all a delight. You've been doing it for so many, many, many years. And when when I kind of went from radio into travel writing as well, I, I went, you know what, it's going to be a really competitive industry. And it was. This is pre-pandemic. Now I just find yep. it so competitive and this is why I love my 
Um, you know, there's no pa- there's no pages left for the freelancer at all, other than <clears> like, <throat> you definitely because you're secured. But even that's going to be limited. The the travel sections of newspapers and magazines, like Bauer lost about eight magazines or something. Don't quote me on that. But you know, it's just yeah. gone down to pretty nothing. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. And it's it was it, like it just each single sort of like. Uh, you know, Melbourne Melbourne went into shutdown, Sydney's been in this long shutdown, Adelaide went into shutdown, we're in shutdown, lockdown, whatever you call it. Um, <laughs> and each time it happens, I mean, each time these travel these travel sections are starting to look healthy again, like Traveller was starting to get yes. quite a few pages, yeah. we were looking at it each week, lots of ads, and then this happens, and then it just goes back to like a cover story and one or two others. So, so yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't matter if you're... Bill Bryson, you're still going to struggle to get stories because there's just no space. So what do you do to keep yourself motivated and and innovated? Like, what what do you do? Do you keep writing? Do you write a novel? Do you do what, like, Trent Dalton's done? What do you do? Well, that'd be nice if I had the uh, talent of Trent Dalton. Who says that you um, know Craig Tansley? I I would dispute that. You've got a very similar similar background to him, so I was just thinking, why? where's the novel in you, my friend? Yeah, well, I tell you what, I, I wouldn't mind a, the good old Australian novel, but I find I have a lot of respect for anyone who can write a book because I think the discipline required to write something so long yeah, yeah. is is a different sort of discipline to writing a whole bunch of feature stories. Like even, you know, sometimes I'm writing stories that are, I don't know, 4,000 words is an incredibly long story for me, but that seems like a long, a big thing. There's a, yeah, but it would be interesting. I mean, I, I haven't, to be honest, I haven't really had the chance yet in this 18 months to really have too much downtime, touch wood. That's really so, good I, you know, I'm grateful for that. Uh, well, I just think it's really good to hear as well for the industry as, as, as a whole. Because you're so Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's bad and, and there's definitely, but there's, you know, I mean, and, I, you know, I might be eating my words if, if things continue with the shutdowns and things, but, um, you know, there's, you've just got to, if anything, I think that it's been a time where you've really had to reinvent all sorts of things about yourself and and what you do for a living. You can't. We used to. I mean, some of my good buddies in the industry. We were just joking about it yesterday, actually, like Ben Groundwater and Rob McFarlane and people like that. Like we were joking, going, "Remember when we used to just sit and choose between the trips that came our way? Like we'd be, yes. oh, I don't want to go to Paris. I was just in Paris four weeks ago. Oh, I don't <laughs> want to. You know, we had it so good." And you've always been so grateful and kind to the operators and really wanted to know about the people that the Famils that um, I've hosted you on. Uh, but I think, you know, like I've, I've hosted others uh, who remain nameless, but that have just sort of kind of done it for the sake of it and rushed through town. But you always took your time. And I, I really like that about you um, as somebody that I can host from a media perspective, but also as a storyteller. So is that how you get your stories by just, you know, getting to know people and discovering the area? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I think um, th- there's always something interesting. I think sometimes sometimes you'll come to a place, and certainly not saying the tweed because it wasn't the case for the tweed, but sometimes you'll come to a place and you'll think, gee, there's not much here. Like, there's, what can I say? And then you yeah. really dig deep and you discover these things. So I think always sort of opening your mind to, um, you know, what's around. But I sort of find as well, when you're dealing with small operators and, you know, people that own these little places and beautiful little towns, yeah. well, they're just so sweet and you just want to be nice to them. So I, I can never understand travel writers that 
I mean, if I always try to look after the ones that look after me, and if they're really sweet, I you know I'll try to get the the best exposure for them because I just you know I feel a real affinity with these people and. They're just such, you know, they're so supportive, they're so sweet, they're just good humans. And I think that comes out in your storytelling. But I was going to ask you, what happens if you stay in a crap place? Like, what, what, do you, what, what, are, you, what are the words you use so that we can, you know, now know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. I think the longer that you do it, and sometimes, sometimes things fall through the cracks, but the longer you do it, the more that you can assess things before you actually go there so what i used to make the mistake of and i did it a lot you know in my earlier years in travel writing was i was won over by the destination so if someone wanted to send me somewhere really exotic i barely looked at the itinerary so i would go i remember i had a terrible trip and this doesn't sound like it could be possible but i had a terrible trip to uh to paris Yep. Because oh, I can understand I that. The itinerary. Yep, well, yep. I just went to museums and I don't write about museums yeah. as such because I find it very hard to write about. Yeah. And yeah. I went I went to Champagne and I'd always wanted to go to Champagne, but we just did these really boring tours and that was I I don't can't even remember what story I got out of it. So sometimes you've just got to really study up beforehand to make sure that what you're doing is is what you're gonna like and what you're gonna write about because it is it can be really awkward if you just don't like a place. But there's, there's, there's definitely ways around it and you certainly, people ask me all the time, like, do you have to lie about places you don't like? It's like, you don't, you just don't. It's like that thing, if you don't have anything nice to say about something, then just don't say anything at all. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. A lot of people are quite grateful that you don't just write some horrible, yeah. horrible, scathing story because, you know, there's enough. One of my old editors on the Sydney Morning Herald used to always say to me, there's enough nasty stuff in the paper without the travel section being absolutely, really particularly right now. That was truer words have not been spoken. I tell you what, because it's just like, yeah. and the, I, well, we, it's just you know, and sometimes you might get somewhere, and if you're writing a bad thing about a restaurant, it might just be a, an off night where the chef was homesick, or you know, maybe a hotel you stayed yeah. at was being refurbished and you didn't realize or you know a bit of, a bit of compassion that. goes a long way we were counting the other day on the media like the word fear in the headline was in every single article i looked at on monday fear the mm-hmm. word fear so if that doesn't say a lot about media right now and and government then i don't know what else does so travel has to stay and food i love writing about food as you know that's got to stay up and it's got to stay positive and, and connected and you know it's got to be that yeah. community feeling when you write because it's about people's lives as you just said you know yeah that's right and it's sort of i mean you know at the moment i'm loving watching the olympics because it just gives you that buzz and it's such a nice energy about it and I think in, in this, you know, not in the same way because I'm not, not likening us travel writers to Olympic athletes. But Come on, mate. I just, I just mean, you know, well, you know, I, I feel very, very much in touch with, like, the, uh, the girl who won four gold medals, five gold medals. Yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah. it just it gives you that sense of goodness in the world, you know, and I think, God, I mean, I've actually got to go, if it's on in Sydney, I've got to go to a... Uh, a the awards function um, in September for the Kennedy NRMA Awards, which is sort of like the the secondary awards to the Walkleys in Australia. Yeah. And I got I made the final of the travel writing award with a couple other writers, but everyone in the room is all they're all the biggest journalists in the country. So it's like Ray Martin, Noyer, George Negus, there's all those sort of people, and it's sort of like. I remember I got nominated for it. I made the final of it two years ago and I looked around the room and I thought, God, yeah, like 
a lot of you know this industry the media industry is doing so well through covid because mm. people are just fixated on all this bad stuff so it's mm. nice to just have some of the good stuff like nice travel experiences out there because yeah the, the mainstream media are making a killing as they write more and more negative and scary yeah, which, stuff I mean, about this but as a journo thing. you just wouldn't want to be in current affairs at all like i just would not want to be in that sphere you know like if that stuff sticks mm. to you sticks to you you take that home with you like that you know, yeah. those word fear oh, yeah. and, and you know the cluster it's just too much those words are definitely not in um in any of the stories that i ever write um i only my intentions are only ever to write about happy um you know happy times and and how to travel the world really so craig yeah. on that what is one of your this is going to be i'm sure you've been asked this several times firstly may i say you've been you've actually have received quite a few awards so can you just reel those off for me uh, I know how much you love awards, Craig. Award for best actor in, uh, <laughs> I know how much you love awards. No, no, give me one. I mean, that, well, that article uh, that you're talking about um, in Patagonia that won an award recently, didn't it? Yeah, it did. But I, you know, I, I make a lot of finals, um, but I don't win many. Um, you're not, you're not sucking I, up enough, mate. I was mate. runner up for Travel Writer of the Year last year with the ASTW. Yes. I, um, I was runner up. Well, I made the finals for the Global Travel Writer of the Year, which was America, Canada, wow. um, Australia, and England. Yeah. Um, with all the travel writing associations, so I made the finals for that. Um, and then this uh, a couple of years ago, I made the, the final for the Kennedy Awards. But I've won a few. Yeah, for that story, I won I, with the ASCW, which is the Australian Travel Writers Association Awards, the main industry awards. I've won lots of the different singular awards for best story best international story best australian story that sort of thing no oh, i love that i know i know how much you love your awards i'm i'm being facetious uh, I, here i love entering them just I know. to see you know it's <laughs> like yeah it's good fun i get all nervous and, oh, you know, oh that i really hope the kennedy buzz. i hope the kennedy awards goes on like i really hope the show goes on with that one yeah well it's meant to be it's september the 24th or something so you never know but they did it was meant to be uh, this week, actually, but well, they, we, they postponed it. Well, the, we were just, um, another big publication's got some awards coming out about food and we were meant to be down in Sydney for that on the 16th of August, but there's not a chance in hell that's oh, happening. Yeah. So that's gone, yeah. that's gone online, but that's okay. You know, they're still doing the virtual oh, yeah. and, you know, it's still, it's still good to be um, the recipient of that. So, Craig, this is a million-dollar question. Where is yeah. one of your favourite places in the world? Well, I would have to say the Cook Islands because I, it's where I began my life in. And it's, I, I've had a couple of my brothers who have travelled the world extensively and when they came back to the Cook Islands on their way home again, and my father still lives there, um, they spent some time in the Cook Islands. They went, oh, why don't we go travelling for? This is the best place here. So wow. I, I would say it's really hard to go past the Cook Islands. But... Um, I love the mountains of, uh, I lived in the mountains of Utah and I spent a lot of time in the mountains of Colorado, which I absolutely love. I love the vibe over there. It's, it's sort of like a, kind of like the same vibe as around here, like a real sort of like buyer in the way it used to be. Lots of, lots of hippies, but lots of rich people. And then it's kind of like just a really nice blend of, of a whole bunch of different individuals, like hippies and farmers and, um, you know, adventurous and, yeah, it's just got such a cool vibe to They're it. They're two remarkable places. I actually just remembered a story that you did with your mum. Tell me about the sailing trip, the story that you wrote with your mum. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I did that um, for Escape, actually. I did that as a, a cover story about what it was like to to go sailing with my mum. Uh, actually, almost virtually a year to the day today, um, my younger brother and I, I've got three brothers, um, 
we sailed from uh, uh, Tinkan Bay near uh, near Harvey Bay there. Yep, yep. Into um, yeah, all the way up to the Kettles. So we we sail with my mum. My mum lives on a thirty eight foot uh, yacht, and she has for twenty twenty one years. That's amazing. Where is she moored usually, or just, just uh, wanders? She spends the. She generally spends the summers in, on a mooring off the Southport Yacht Club in, wow. in Southport. Yeah, and then she'll usually, if she can, she'll spend the winters sailing up to the Whit Sundays, and she's in um, the Early Beach area. That's she amazing. She just anchors, anchors off the wherever she can. Oh my she god. Does it on a, Sniff of an oily rag, or whatever the saying is. So yeah. you know, people yeah. people have this thought that <laughs> yachties are all loaded and they've got you know their own private skippers and all that. My mum and her friends are the exact opposite of that. They they're the real ones, that, mate. A they're dollar the, a day. They're the yeah, they're the scurvy exactly. dogs that know all about the hundred nautical mile. But what a wonderful exactly. um! I love that. But that's what that's what sailing is. What um what. Uh, what, how long were you on the boat together, you guys, sailing? Yeah, uh, we did that one for 10 days, I think it was. And then and then not long after that, I flew home. And then I went back up to the Sundays where Mum had already flown up to the Sundays and spent, spent another week or so on her boat in around the Sundays. And do you pitch these stories or do they do they do you come, wake up at 3am in the morning and you've got this brilliant idea or do people come to you? How does it work? <laughs> well, that one, was, that one was quite unusual because I actually thought that would be a really cool story yeah. for... Some publication overseas as as a you know this ultimate thing where you know these kids go sailing with their mum on yeah, this trip in Australia and no one sort of really took the bait. I think wow. you know with Australia being cut off from the rest of the world, but then luckily Escape thought it was a good idea and and came to me with it saying, well, we want that as a cover story. So they gave it a How you know a, a bit of. Yeah, which was really cool. So I got a chance to, to write about that. I actually even, it was quite funny, I even had to go on Sky TV and talk about um, boating and, and what, what's happened to, <laughs> with boating in these COVID times. And they put me on there on the screen where they had my face on the screen. Um, they said, <laughs> Craig Tansley, boating expert. And my brothers have never <laughs> let me... <laughs> from New Zealand. Incredible sailors. Imagine that, <laughs> boating expert from New Zealand. New Zealand's Craig Tansley. <laughs> Or Poly- Polynesian boating expert. That's yeah. hilarious. Oh, my God. You're, I, <laughs> I don't know much about boats. I mean, I know how to pull on the jib and I yeah. know how, where the beer is in my mum's fridge and that's, Port you and know, that's about it. That's it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, oh, but, no, I don't know that. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, I do. I do. Of course you do. Um, you know, I, I love doing this podcast because I usually, I, you know, I, I call you a friend. I know your story, but I've just learned so much more about you from trucking right through to boat expert. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, Peeling yeah. back the layers of the onion. Yes, I love it. Now, who's someone that inspires you? It can be industry or... I usually end my podcast with a, it's mm. people to place. So a person and a place. You've given me the places, which are fantastic. And a person yeah. really inspires you. It can either be industry related or it could be Mother Earth. It can be that woo-woo. Yeah. Well, I mean, from a... Uh, like a totally across all areas i'd say my my mother because she's always lived her life out to completely outside the the, the circle mm. uh the, the circle the square whatever she's lived a, you know, <laughs> a very unusual life and she's still doing it into her well into her 70s oh my god i'd love um, to meet so her she's been a constant sort of yeah no, oh, she's, what she's a cracker inspirational but uh from a more um writing sort of point of view yeah. i I'm uh, I'm constantly inspired by a few different writers, and all it takes. I had to write quite a long story this week for the financial review, and I was struggling a bit. But I have a bookshelf of my favourite authors, and anytime I'm a little bit stuck, I yeah. just read 
I just read a couple of them and they're my favourite writers and I love uh, Paul Thoreau is just or Thoreau I think you pronounce it he's an American writer that just makes words seem like song lyrics he's just honey. incredible words like honey yeah 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 he's just incredible and I, I really love the um, the American writer John Krakow who yeah, wrote yeah. Uh, Into Thin Air and I, I could read Into Thin Air the way he writes he just has this economy of prose like he just has he just writes oh i love that the way you just said that was amazing (laughs) (laughs) and tim winston anytime i'm ever stuck i just read dirt that's a cracker absolute cracker ever written yeah and you know what you've just given me um because that happens to be where i get uh, what is it called writer's block whatever it is and Mm. i i usually i usually flick like moonology books or like you know, books about, I don't know, star signs and things, but I actually need to start flicking some of the novels that I love because it's about the actual words just coming onto the paper, flowing, you know, as opposed to I go for the star sign, what's happening in the stars? But I actually... (laughs) What I find, I just open a book and I look at, at, you know, like say one page of what someone fantastic like a Tim Winton has written. Yeah. And then I'll read halfway through it and I'm going, right, and then I go off. I love and that. I do it. And it either it either works for me, and I think, oh, that really works. Or if it doesn't, <laughs> I then go, damn it, I'm not Tim Winton. And then I try <laughs> with someone else. Oh, mate, I tell you what, there is definitely a book in you. There's a book or two in you. The first I had, yeah, idea I had um, to you, now that I've done my moonology thing, and I just channeled this for you, Craig Tansley. I think you've got like. 10, nine quirky stories around the world in you, definitely. So short stories that are put into a coffee table book because people would read that because you've got photos to accompany it as well. So I think your first foray into it would be a kick-ass travel um, stories, your best travel stories into one book. And then you're writing a novel. I can feel it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah, that's cool. I could go with that. Thank you. That'll, that can be my... Um... Uh, inspiration for, for to do 2022 to 2022 mate because you're busy enough now which is really good to hear it's, it makes me it makes me feel like we've got hope out there if someone like yourself is still well, you know going full full steam ahead that's right I think you know and I, I think the same it's sort of you know I yeah it's tricky and you know and yeah I'm, but what I consider as well is that there's some tour operators and people operating in the industry that are just doing it so much tougher. So, much so tougher. I figured that what I have to do and how I have to multitask and change things around is just still nothing compared to some of these poor people. And, that and are you know what? I, I think the same, mate. I mean, I'm in lockdown in an apartment in Brisbane at the moment. I've had a few people reach out and I'm like, I'm totally good. Like, there's, I've got air, I've got water I've got you know food I've yeah. got I've got my family around me and I just feel like you know and I've got income um I can work from home and I just feel like I'm blessed to be where I am right now and um yeah let's hope our beautiful industry of tourism and events bounces back one of those things will be the blues fest keep an eye out for that because if that goes ahead then I really start to think that we're going to be okay. That's how my mind thinks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for um, sure. And that's set for October. So stay tuned for that. And Craig Tansley, on October, you're going to be coming down to the Artisan Food Weekend because that's just been announced yesterday. We're in the creative throes oh, of that cool. right now. So, oh, great. yeah, and it's been great talking to you, mate. I've wanted to do this podcast with you for a long time. I've got a few uh, friends that are in the industry that I want to do some uh, podcasts with, travel writers, but you, my friend, are on the top of the list. Awesome. No, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. No, absolutely. And this will uh, be dropping literally this afternoon, so you don't have a choice to pull anything out or edit it, my friend. It's all (laughs) ready to go. Lovely to chat to you, Craig Tansley, and we'll catch up soon. Adios.